0: Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for worshiping, and um, I I am one that I, I I'm just amazed at uh, at pastors and ministers that preach series and they they write books and they have like you know eight messages on one t- uh, you know on a particular different components and and I get blessed by listening to those that has never been one of my strong points is preaching series of messages i've done a few of them but i felt really impressed by the lord to do this series and um, we are in the third week if you would like to listen to those previous messages you can do so they're available on the church website or if you have if you have podcasts you can look it up there Uh, the last two weeks we covered how to vote on the sanctity of life and marriage Uh, and family. And today we're going to talk about children. We'll look at the scriptural view on children, which really technically was partially included in last week's message. So some of what we're going to go through today is going to be part of that. I believe that we should never be ashamed to take a stand for Jesus Christ, regardless of what personal cost that we may face. We should never be ashamed. I I believe there's no question that as a follower of Jesus Christ that our culture has shifted a long way and, and we recognize that when you follow Jesus, you recognize that shift in our culture that has happened just within our lifetimes, just within the last few years. There are topics that were never talked about and they're talked about every day in our society today. But they have shifted a long way from the biblical foundations just a generation ago, just even half a generation ago. We are charged to stand for Jesus Christ with boldness and courage, even if we are ridiculed personally or we're just simply made to feel uncomfortable by those who, have, who, who would not have a godly influence in their lives. How many know that The devil doesn't care if you're not doing anything for God. If you're doing something for God, then he begins to get concerned and he begins to pick up those fiery darts that we read about in the Bible. But Jesus said this in Mark 8, 38. He said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Adulterous and sinful generation was present when Jesus spoke these words and it's still present today and it will always be present until he comes back. The son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with his holy angels. My mind goes back to an old song that I remember when I was a, a, a boy and uh, I haven't heard it in years, but it says it, it says um, 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 I, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be ashamed about my Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed about Jesus. Paul writes in Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who everyone, everyone who believes to everyone who believes. That's how powerful the gospel is. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Thank God it was open to the Gentiles. As As a citizen of the United States. We have freedoms given to us by God and affirmed by our nation's founders in the Constitution. We have the right to worship God without government prohibition. That's not the case in dictator-controlled regimes in other parts of the world. We also have the freedom of speech, which allows us to communicate ideas and engaging in conversations without fear of imprisonment when we talk about our faith. And you, if you can believe this, in 2022, there are places in the world where standing up for Jesus can cause you to be imprisoned or to be murdered. Today, there are parts in the world like that. If verbal persecution is all we have to, be, have to face, then we have a lot to be thankful for. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul writes this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It is incumbent upon us to do everything in our ability to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in the public arena, is reinforced in the public arena to the ability that we have influence. Biblical issues matter as a follower of Jesus Christ. We must take every opportunity to uphold the spiritual truths of God's word, there is a spiritual battle that is being waged by the devil to try to keep us from not only be, from keeping Jesus from being discussed and and even mentioned in public, but to allow evil to gain acceptance in every area of our culture. In Proverbs twenty nine two, it says, "When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn." We have a responsibility not only as citizens but as Christians to vote for what the Bible says. We must stand on the side of the Bible when it comes to voting on issues about which the Bible has been very clear. We must stand on the side of the Bible when it comes to voting for candidates by determining whether they where, whether they stand uh, where they stand and then compare that to God's word. Any issue or candidate that rejects the truth of the Bible should never garner the vote of any child of God. I've said this before, but church is not about the economy. Regardless of how bad inflation is, regardless of how much you have to pay when you fill up your car or your vehicle when you go to the store, It's it's quite simple for the Christian. It's about the Bible. It will always only be about the Bible and about what the Word of God says. And everything else is secondary because God is going to take care of His people. Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. God will honor people who honor Him. And the same cannot be said for those who endorse sin. So we get to how to vote on the issues In the issue concerning children. Psalm 127 and 3 says. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him. The Bible has a lot to say about children. And I'd like to talk about what some of the scriptures has to say about them. I believe that together as followers of Jesus Christ. We can serve our children. I know that sounds odd to hear. We can serve our children, but but humor me just a minute. I'm not talking about serving them in the sense that, that they just lounge around and even up through adulthood. We're we're just going to cater to their desires, their wants and their wishes. We see the results of that in bad behavior everywhere. I'm not talking about that, but if you look in the dictionary, how many know they number the definitions? And and Way down the list, number five, is to render assistance, to be of use, and to help. Number 24, if you realize there's that many, is to treat in a specified manner. And number 26 is to provide with a regular or continuous supply of something. So to provide with a regular or continuous supply of something. Uh, Proverbs 22 6 says start off children the way they should go and even when they are old they will not turn from it. They will not depart from it. The New Living Translation says direct your children on on the right path and when they are older they will not leave it. King James says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Just as our vision statement says loving God serving all with compassion. I think we've got it in our logo. I think it's the next slide. Right, Ryan? Loving God, serving all with compassion. You can see it there in the bottom of the ring. Loving God, serving all with compassion. That includes children. It doesn't exclude anybody. It includes children. We should be serving children that are within our reach of influence. I'm not talking about serving them on the aspect of waiting on the child that has an idea that they deserve to be served. But we should serve with compassion so that we can continually and consistently point them to God so that we can treat them in a specified manner as specified by the word of God so that we can continue to supply them with a regular and generous supply of what God's word teaches it is the responsibility of parents for their upbringing of their children that prepares them for living a life that is pleasing to God and a life that points to Christ. How many know it's the responsibility of parents? Many parents, unfortunately, have abdicated this responsibility. And in in, uh, retrospect, the example that many parents or grandparents had from growing up, they didn't have to worry quite as much because... The Bible and and Christians were honored and God was honored even in the public arena. That day has come and gone by and large. And so parents need to take back the responsibility that God gave them and make sure that you do train up a child in the way they should go. Ephesians 6, 4 says fathers, which really... Could it would imply both parents do not exasperate your children or provoke them to anger instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How many know that some people are just good at aggravating people. They're just good at it. We're not supposed to do that with our children. There's one thing about, you know, joking around, but, but to push and to push and to, and to always criticize and always be like that to your children, that's not what we're supposed to do as parents. We're supposed to love them. Genesis eighteen nineteen. Uh, this is what um, uh, the, the Lord said. I have chosen him, talking about Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So he's supposed to instruct his children in the ways of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Deuteronomy 6, 7, when Moses was giving instructions to the Israelites, talking about impress them, talking about the Lord's commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home. When you you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, we're supposed to talk about what God means to us, what Jesus means to us with our children. Psalm 78, 5 says, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel when He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children... Yet to be born, what we are instilling into our children will perpetuate in some form or fashion to future generations, should the Lord tarry. And they would in turn tell their children, if they're not told, they don't have it within them to pass on. So it is incumbent upon us to do that. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. But would keep his commands. It is within the family that spiritual training of our children must be taught. It is not the school's responsibility. It's not the church's primary responsibility, but it's that of the parents. Of course, this the church can certainly help affirm and 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 bring about truth in the light of scripture, but the responsibility is with the parents. It can seem overwhelming. I get it, and it is a huge, tremendous responsibility. But it is a rewarding responsibility that the Lord will absolutely give courage and strength to accomplish. And I want to say for just a moment that I know that there are are parents out there who are single parents who are trying to tackle and do these things. And it seems like it's just they're, they're trying to be both mom and dad. And it's very tough and it's very hard. And I just can't imagine what that is like. But I do know this, that when you plug into a friendship and a community of believers, like in the house of God then where those areas where you may seem like I'm just overwhelmed the Lord will bring others into your life that will help build those those lacks that seem to be there In Luke 1, 17, the angel said to Zechariah about his son, John the Baptist, that was to be born. He said, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. That's what we do with our children. We, 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 We point children to their parents and parents point to God. In the Old Testament, one of the great sins of God's people was the failure of fathers to love their sons and daughters enough to teach them the ways and the commands of God. This would all change with Jesus just reminding, reminding us and showing us the example of love. Here are some steps that parents are to take to lead their children in the godliness of Christ. There's 12 steps that I've written down here. Number, uh, number one. Dedicate your children to God at the beginning of their lives, as Hannah did with Samuel and as Mary and Joseph did with Jesus. Be serious with God. Publicly say, I am taking this child and I am going to let everyone know that this child is going to be raised in the house of God. My mind goes back to those early days when our children were small and they were just days old and we stood before a congregation of believers and we promised to god that we were going to bring this child up in the fear and admonition of the lord and we've done the best of our ability did we get it right no we didn't always get it right we had regrets we did things that we we could have changed and we would change if we could But God will honor you you for that. Number two, teach your children to fear the Lord. Have an awesome respect for him and to turn away from sin and instill in them an attitude that God God has for sin. I think that's a missing factor in in many areas today. But in order for us to be that example, we also have to have the same outlook on sin that God has. I've got to move on. I've got a lot of material that the Lord has led me to cover today. Number three, teach your children to obey by loving use. Loving use of biblical discipline. A few years ago, actually several years ago, the state of Oklahoma reinforced that parents have a right to spank their children, to discipline their children in that way. We're not talking about child abuse. There is a place for that. Uh, we, there's a different generation, yeah. and there are there are kids that were raised, and there is a, there is an age where that is no longer effective with children. It shouldn't be done out of anger. It should be done out of love. I can remember many many seasons of time when I had that growing up, and um, and, and the Bible is very clear about that. And I want to share those thoughts with you. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Proverbs 3.11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Proverbs 13.24, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children and is, is careful to discipline them proverbs 23 13 do not withhold discipline from a child and 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 please understand that discipline is the word discipline is not punishment discipline means training so there's more that goes along to just just punishment but there's discipline there's a teachable moment that's the whole purpose is to teach and to train if you punish them with the rod they will not die punish them with the rod. Well, there were some times I thought I was going to die. Uh, no, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, if you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. The King James says, "Deliver his soul from hell." I find that very interesting. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: A rod, that, a rod, and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Mm. If children don't know how to act, it's a reflection of their parents. Mm-hmm. If children know how to act, it's a reflection on their parents. And there is a point in time when children get to the age where they're past the influence of their parents and when they're adults, we are no longer responsible. They're not under our authority as parents. I've said this before but what we've instilled in their character, they will never forget. Number four, protect your children from ungodly influences by being aware of Satan's attempts to destroy them through attraction to the world and through immoral companions. Number five, make them aware that God is always observing and evaluating what they do. Number six, do all you can to help your children come early in life to personal faith repentance and water baptism in christ number seven establish your children in the spiritual church where god's word is proclaimed number eight encourage your children to remain separated from the world and to witness and work for god number nine instruct your children the importance of the baptism in the holy spirit Number 10, teach your children that God loves them and has a specific purpose for their lives. Number 11, instruct your children daily in God's word, in conversations and devotion. Uh, Number 12, lift up your children to God by constant and earnest intercession. Serving children in the spiritual context is helping them, guiding them, continually supplying them with a diet of God's love, His grace, and His mercy. Through Jesus Christ. For our children up until the time that they are adults, we are accountable for their souls. We are accountable for them. For our grandchildren, we are accountable for them to the degree that our influence allows the, us to be. Whatever influence we can put into their lives, we, can be, we, we are held to the standard. And really, when it comes right down to it, How we behave and how we conduct ourselves, we're accountable for anyway, regardless of who it is. We have to be conscious of civic leaders and politicians and those with anti-biblical agendas that believe they know best for our children. There's a couple of stories that I want to tell you and one of them is fairly lengthy and I, I thought about Trimming one of these stories down, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it But it is lengthy and I want I just ask you to bear with me in your attention because these are critical issues From an article this year July 28th, from AG news entitled anytime anywhere education it's about SUM Bible College and Theological Seminary's new offering for (laughs) lower-cost online Christian education. Their mission is more difficult because the government knows what's best for children. In 1987, George New pioneered an inner-city church in the Baton Rouge area of Louisiana. He saw a need to develop ethnic leadership to reach the moral, spiritual, and financial needs of impoverished neighborhoods. He realized the need for Bible college training. However, the cost for such training was often out of reach because of poor educational backgrounds and rampant poverty levels. The college began in George's living room. Over time, George's God-given dream of building a Bible college would be fulfilled by acquiring depressed land in the inner city, transforming them into facilities with donated materials and volunteer labor. The college was to be known as School of Urban Missions, or SUM. In 2011, they changed their name to SUM Bible College and Theological Seminary. The name changed Harold Sum's new direction as evolving from strictly urban focus to an evangelical worldwide emphasis. Everything on this platform will be donation based. Says new sixty-two. Who uh, we want our students. We want students to graduate debt-free, owing neither us nor their government a dime. While students still will be eligible for Pell grants and scholarships that don't need to be paid back, some won't allow them to apply for federal loans. New maintains ministry careers get derailed because they start because graduates are saddled with too much debt. In addition, New is asking students and supporters of the school to donate $10 a month to help make up the difference from dropping a set of tuition price uh, from dropping a set tuition price. He believes it's critical for some to offer an alternative to what he calls increasingly unbiblical public school <coughs> agenda. In that vein, New thinks some can no longer rely on government funding because of the strings that come with it. For example, an executive order signed by President Biden in June directs the Department of Education to advance policies for educational institutions to, quote, promote safe and inclusive learning environments, end quote, for individuals identifying as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex. The vision of Broadcasting Network of Theological Studies is to equip the church for a, get this, a billion soul harvest. That's what this college's mission is, says New, an ordained Assemblies of God minister since 1990. We want to be affordable Christian education anytime, anywhere, on a flexible schedule to anyone passionate about their relationship with Christ. Thank God for people like George New who will help reinforce parents who try to help their children grow up into godly men and women and then this story entitled teenage transgender trend some people think pastor why are you talking about this in church it's being talked about everywhere and unless you're living under a rock or have no access to social media or news anywhere you've You know, if you're a hermit somewhere, I get it. But if you were a hermit, you wouldn't be here. Teenage transgender trend. This article written March 1st of this year. In the past generation, many conservative Christian parents have been confounded by the news that their child is gay or lesbian. But recently, an increasing number of parents have been stunned by the unexpected announcement that their offspring identifies as transgender. Assemblies of God ordained minister Linda A. Seiler and Brenda Kate Simons are working full time to provide biblical responses for parents and their sexually confused children. How many know that the Bible is always going to be our answer? Amen, amen. <laughs> Seiler is an AGUS missionary with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries, while Simons is a, is a missionary associate with Intercultural missionary, uh, Ministries. Siner is also a board member with Restory Ministries, an AG-endorsed nonprofit that equips pastors as well as families struggling with homosexuality and gender identity. Counselor Joe Dallas, a longtime leading Christian voice on LGBTQ, uh, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer ministry, also a Restory Ministries board member, both Siler 48 and Simons 46, both found a path to sexual healing. When they struggled with their sexual identity a generation ago, conservative churches and Christians tended to view their predicament judgmentally. Back then, many church leaders taught that if, sexually conf- if a sexually confused young person prayed enough, improper sexual emotions would vanish, but that rarely happened. Such a message normally isn't effective today in part because multiple LGBTQ groups are so affirming of those who question their sexual identity. Heroic praise is widespread in American culture for those who leave heterosexuality behind. Societal pressures for LGBTQ acceptance is at an all-time high. Indeed, some states have passed laws facilitating the transgender Transition of a confused youth to the opposite sex. In lots of places, if a minor is experiencing gender confusion or same-sex attraction, the counts the counselor, get this, is legally obligated to be affirming, even if the young person expresses discomfort about the confusion or attraction, Simon says. The R O G D phenomenon. When Simons became director of the Boston-based interdenominational Alive in Christ in 2004, the ministry primarily helped those dealing with same-sex attraction. But gender dysphoria, when someone is persistently uncomfortable with his or her biological sex, has risen to the forefront. In the past half-century, much of academia has been encouraging of onset gender dysphoria. From an early age, even in kindergarten, children are taught that gender identity is not fixed. Simon says, when kids question their gender, they often experience a level of acceptance from people struggling with the same thing. But the newest trend is known as rapid onset gender dysphoria, ROGD. Rapid onset gender dysphoria: Girls have been shown who have shown no signs of being dissatisfied with their gender after puberty suddenly, and without warning, decide they must change their sex. Parents frequently are blindsided by the revelation. Lisa Littman, assistant professor at Brown University, coined the term rapid onset gender, gender dysphoria (ROGD) in 2018 after researching teens who announced a transgender identification. She discovered the onset tended to happen to those belonging to a peer group where multiple or even every friend expressed gender dysphoria and identified as transgender simultaneously. Littman, who is also a physician, reported that parents noticed an immersion of their child in social media, such as binge-watching YouTube transition videos and excessively spending time on Tumblr, Reddit, and Instagram before the announcement. In addition, the youth became increasingly sullen, withdrawn, and hostile toward parents. Meanwhile, Littman reported most clinicians had no qualms about fast-tracking the gender transition even without evaluating the mental health of the teens. Littman concluded that vulnerable individuals may interpret vague feelings as grounds to make the transgender move, viewing it as the only solution to their situation. Abigail Schreier, author of the 2020 book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters, points out that in previous decades, gender confused girls might fall prey to anorexia and bulimia. Now, however, she notes that because of cultural acceptance and online social dynamics, girls are more likely to seek hormone replacement therapy and sex reassignment surgery so the, as the answer to their troubles. Siler, who is Chi Alpha, National Field Specialist in Applied Theology and Culture notes that until a decade ago, the desire for a girl to become a boy in her mid-teens seldom occurred. Today, Cider believes social media is to blame for entire peer groups perceiving an inability to cope with their birth sex. They don't feel as though they fit in or measure up with the beautiful, with the beautiful feminine girls, says Siler, who lives in West Lafayette, Indiana. Uncomfortable with their body, they don't think they are supposed to be a woman. Siler's observations are more than theoretical. She struggled with gender identity confusion from young childhood well into her adult life. She began contemplating sex assignment surgery in fourth grade as a means of relieving sensations of being a male trapped in a female body. Not until age 32, after an arduous 11-year journey, did her unhealthy draw to females and desire to be male resolved. We've seen an incredible rise in ROGD phenomenon. Sider says, lots of parents are calling us, asking what they can do when their teenager suddenly comes out as non-binary or trans. For those of you not familiar with the terms, non-binary is neither male or female, something other than that. And trans is preferring to be the opposite sex. Dallas, 67, notes that ROGD hasn't been approved as a diagnosis in the American Psychiatric Association, but it's part of a trend for youth to embrace an identity even if they express doubts. He believes girls who do so may feel a sense of chic empowerment. Teens have an acute need for identity, which leads to the status it affords, says Dallas, who is based in Tustin, California. Dallas experienced repeated sexual abuse starting at age eight by an adult male, which led to his years of gay activism in his 20s. This is a time when kids are applauded, rewarded, and given particular social privilege for having the, quote, courage to declare themselves transgender or any other sexual minority. Dallas says, in an effort to find identity, youths youth are quick to grasp identity as transgender, lesbian, asexual, bisexual, or pansexual. But upon further examination, their actual experience may not match the labeling, according to Dallas. The message from much of the medical community, academia, and more liberal churches is that those grappling with gender dysphoria must make the abrupt transitions or they will commit suicide. That's what they're being told. In the late 20th century, those contemplating a gender switch had to undergo months of counseling and treatments. Now girls can go to Planned Parenthood or other centers for gender-affirming hormone therapy and walk out with a testosterone prescription. Siler explains because testosterone is a natural euphoric drug, the anxiety a girl may have felt seems to disappear, confirming the notion that she should really be a boy. Further treatments follow, and as a girl begins to grow muscle mass, her hairline begins to recede. She develops stubble on her face, and her voice deepens. Binding breasts and changing, a, changing to a male name are part of the process. Initially, there's a lot of attention and affirmations, says Seiler, who served as Chi Alpha Campus group leader at Purdue for 13 years. But by their mid-20s, they realized transitioning didn't solve all their problems, and they want to go back. But it's too late. The changes are permanent. Sider completed her PhD in intercultural studies at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in Springfield in 2020. Her dissertation features 30 cases, case studies of men and women who experienced transformation after same-sex attraction. In July, her book for AG ministry leaders, Transformation, a Former Transgender response to LGBTQ is scheduled to be published featuring her own story and research. Encouraging children to prematurely embrace the sexual distinctiveness is hardly on the same level with supporting their efforts to experiment with dyeing their hair blue or wearing outlandish clothing, Dallas says. Injecting or ingesting hormones or steroids can have serious permanent consequences. Ironically, in many states, counselors such as Dallas are forbidden to from suggesting to a gender-confused youth to stop dating someone of the same sex or to quit watching gay pornography. The cultural acceptance is making an impact. According to a February 17th Gallup poll, 7.1% of American adults identify as LGBT, double the percentage from a decade ago. The organization reported that 20 0.8% of Generation Z adults, those born between 1997 and 2003, consider themselves to be LGBTQ, 20%. Ministering with Compassion. Alive in Christ, Restoring Ministries Insider all provide resources to those struggling with sexuality and in a culture that continues to normalize LGBTQ behavior. Over and over, I have heard LGBTQ, LGBT people say no one ever told them God loves them. Simon says too often, she says they have heard up front that they are a sinner because of their unnatural sexual desires. They really, the reality is we are all sinners, Simon says. But those with same sex attractions get the impressions from churches sometimes that they are uniquely sinful. I want to encourage churchgoers that their gay neighbor, barista, or cousin need to know Jesus loves them. Because the LGBTQ person likely has been ridiculed or criticized for their sexual behavior, Simons urges Christians to take the time to listen to their stories of identifying as LGBTQ, be slow to respond, and not plan points to argue. When interacting with an LGBTQ person, it's a good idea to express concern about past mistreatment. It's okay to say, thank you for telling me that, or I'm sorry that happened to you. Simon says, that's not affirming their sexual choices. It's only affirming that suffering is a shared human experience instantaneous deliverances from unwanted sexual attractions are rare. A gradual and sometimes painful yet more powerful healing can be more effective in the long term. Reverting to past behavior is common after accepting Christ. Simon, Siler, and Dallas all recount how they slipped back into their former lifestyle after assuming local ministry leadership roles when, when much younger. However, they all repented years ago and have continued the journey Establish the ministries they now run and have been healed. That is the reason they offer compassion while helping others who continue to struggle. They all believe the church and their parents and parents need to be more proactive in helping hurting, helping hurting children learn about sexuality in a healthy, authentic way. We need to do better. We need to better express truth to kids beyond prohibitions such as don't be gay or don't dress like that, says Dallas, who is an elder at Mesa Church in Costa Mesa, California. So many voices are talking about it from the wrong perspective. We who hold the truth should be talking about it to the loudest to shield our kids from error. Wow. Heartbroke when I read that story and I realized it was lengthy, but it's a powerful reminder. Many people, we're no exception, can migrate to people who look like us, who live like us, but we should not be afraid. We should not be backward and especially when we already have an existing relationship with someone, if we find out something that seems to shock us on the inside, don't let that shock keep you away from that relationship. Amen. They need you more than ever because if they don't have a relationship with you who loves Jesus and everybody who loves Jesus treats them that way, how will they realize and understand? How will they know? As parents or grandparents, we need to know what kind of influences our children should have. The devil is doing his best to make sure that our children are sexualized at an early age. We've seen this, and I mentioned this, I think, last week, maybe the week before, in the marriage and family second segment, that when COVID happened, a lot of parents saw what was really going on in the classrooms, and they were shocked. They began because they had to be the teacher in-house because they couldn't go to school. And they saw what their children were being learned, what their children were being taught and what they were asked to learn. And they saw things that shocked them and things that thought, my kid really shouldn't be learning about this. I don't want this to influence my child. And as men and women of God, We can no longer put our life in Christ on autopilot and say, well, I'm just going to be a Christian and I'm just going to get by in this world. We must stand up with the force and with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God that will cause us to know exactly when evil is confronting us. And we are not ashamed to stand up and say, Thus says the Lord and the Bible says this. We don't do so in a preaching way, but we get to interject that as being led by the Holy Spirit. Force can push people away. But there are times in your conversation. There are times in your conversation that you will have with people. And they will... They will know whether you're genuine or not. They'll know. And you can have those times with them and you can say, you know, I get where you're coming from. Not too long ago, it seemed like um, church people might have been afraid to approach somebody who had piercings and tattoos because it seemed so unusual. I can remember those days. And now it seems like there's a lot of people that are pierced and tattooed. I tell you the same thing that I said earlier, and that was that what what God said to Samuel when he went to anoint David. He didn't know who he was looking for. thought he was looking for a specific type because he thought, oh, he's strong, that's got to be him. No, it was the one who seemed least likely because God Doesn't look on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Every person that you encounter, every person that's in your family is a precious, beautiful soul that was created by God. They deserve your love and your compassion. And if you don't agree, and and if they're not under your, if they're not your children under your sphere of influence, you need to show that compassion to them. You need to live it in front of your children that are under your sphere of influence. You need to live it in front of them, be examples to them, show them and teach them. I would like to think that we weren't strict or harsh with our children, but our children knew where we stood. And um, and, and I'm not here to brag on our kids, but we love our kids. But it takes extra energy and extra strength, especially in today's world, to parent and to raise our kids. I remember, how many have been in Walmart and you've seen a child misbehaving? If you haven't, just go over there after church. It's just a few blocks away. And within five minutes, you'll probably find one. And, and, you know, kids, I want that. I've seen kids throw fits because their parents did. We were in, Burla- we were in Burlington a few weeks ago. And, and kid was throwing a fit because he couldn't have it. And so the mom just said, okay, here. I'm thinking, okay, so seven no's gets a yes. Our children knew that when we were at the store, if you act out in the store, I am not obligated to stay in the store. Yes, I need stuff in the store. But I need children who will respect their mom and their dad more than I need stuff in the store. Exactly. And I would leave my cart, take those children out of the store and take them to the car. And they knew that. You guys knew that, didn't you? They, they, yeah. Yeah. They're both shaking. They're both nodding. Don't look at me that way. (laughs) But I understand it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort to do that. But the devil is doing his best to try to get to our children. He's trying to sexualize them at an early age by the entertainment content. And close friendships with other kids who do not care about God. May I tell you today that if you watch anything that you wouldn't let your kids watch, you need to get rid of it. Oh, well, this is my collection and this is their collection. I don't think so. What example are we living? What example are we living? While he's working, the devil is working to infiltrate their minds, he's already started by getting the government to implement ungodly actions by promoting this hypersexualization sexualization and anti-biblical guidelines to be pushed through our nation's education system. There are people who will be glad to do so all along the way. And so it's incumbent upon us if we believe that Jesus really does love the little children, all the children of the world. Do we still believe that? Yes. Then we need to stand up for those children. And some of you who don't have children in your home, there are children that you can take a stand for. There are children that need to be supported in school board elections. There are children that need to be supported in elections of officials that will have a pro family, a pro life, a pro God agenda. And we need to seek out those who have that. Jesus said this in Matthew 19 14. Let the children, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. These are the ones, the innocence of a child. And the world and culture is trying to take the innocence of our children away. And we must stand in the gap. We must reinforce this with our children as well. As, as if their mom, if their mom and dad or grandma or grandpa, if you know a child that they won't tell them about Jesus, then the question I ask is will we be willing to share Jesus with them? Will we be willing? It's inconvenient. There was a lady who's gone on to be with the Lord now, Pauline Scripture, powerful, great woman of God, great woman of God. And she would bring her grandchildren to church on Wednesdays and Sundays, She would bring her grandchildren to church. And not only that, but she would bring neighborhood kids with her. She had a big vehicle like a suburban and she would bring her kids, friends with her. She'd bring six, seven, eight kids with her every Sunday. Every Wednesday, she would bring those kids. And she told me this. She said, when my husband was alive, she said, we used to take two vehicles to church because we had so many kids coming with us. We couldn't fit them in one car. And so every Sunday, we would drive two vehicles to church so we could bring all the kids that would come with us. And I thought, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. We need... To be example for our kids, I believe we have a divine purpose to fulfill. We must let God's loving influence use us and shine through us as we are serving children in in this world and showing love to them. I'm just about ready to close out this message, but Luke chapter 9, verse 46 says this. An argument started among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child is Journey available? Is she okay or not? No, she's, she's, she's doing something else right now. I was going to use her for an example. Autumn's asleep. But anyway, um, he took a little child and had him stand beside him. And he said to them, whoever, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for the one who is least among you. All oh, is the greatest. That is such a powerful scripture right there. He, he said, you know, because we've been in church a long time, one of the most difficult things to find years ago was people who would commit to working with children. And and I am going to be the one to say I was one of the chief that didn't want to do it. We had when we when we attended Faith Assembly um, in the nineties, uh, late eighties, and and through the nineties, um, we had a, a Royal Ranger program and a Missionette program, and the women's ministry was over the. Um, the, the girls' ministries, the missionaries they were the primary backing behind that. The men's ministries were was the primary backing behind the boys' ministry, the Royal Rangers. I was working two jobs at the time. I was working 60 hours a week, 50 to 60 hours every week. And they needed help on Wednesday nights with the Royal Rangers. And uh, I thought, you know, I... Uh, I work a lot. I'm tired. I was off on Wednesdays because church was important to me. I didn't work. I didn't. I I worked very minimally on Sundays. Sunday afternoons I would work. And sometimes I had to miss a little bit on Sunday morning, the tail end of the service. But I didn't work on Wednesday nights. And um, I just wanted to sit in church and relax and be in service. And they needed help. And they approached me to help. And I declined respectfully. (laughs) And uh, I'll never forget this. We went on vacation to St. Louis. The men's group would meet the first, well, uh, what Sunday it was, they would meet uh, one one Saturday a month, second Saturday of the month. Remember the sign. The second Saturday of the month they would meet and have breakfast. And they had a president of the men's group who was kind of the leader of the group and they would have, you know, meetings and talk about ministry and stuff like that. They had a habit each year of electing the president of the men's group for somebody that may not be there. And we were on vacation when that meeting happened. And when I came back, they said, you were elected president of the men's group while you were gone. I'm thinking, oh, great. <laughs> I was, how old was I, 23, 24, something like that. I felt instant conviction come upon me because the men are supposed to be primary backers. And how can I, in good conscience, look for somebody to help out in the boys' ministry if I wasn't willing to help myself? And so I went to the training. I went to the Roll Ranger training, and I spent five years teaching five- and six-year-old boys. To this day, I will tell you that that was the most powerful time in my life. I enjoyed that. Those little boys were just so precious. Every week, meeting those five- and six-year-old boys, sometimes having eight at a time. And eight, let me tell you, there's a lot of energy in five- and six-year-old boys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but it was fun but we had trouble finding people to work with children because it's like well I've raised my kids my responsibility is over I just want to sit back can I tell you that God's not through with any of us Amen. and while there may be some things physically we may not be able to do there are some things we absolutely can do Whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. It doesn't just matter about, not not just talking about ministry, but personally in our lives. When we reach out to children that we have relationships with, it's a powerful thing. And it was in line at the store yesterday, uh, getting something at the party. And uh, she saw a cute little baby walking around there. And she happened to be about the same age as as journey or the same age as same age as autumn. And she says, well, she is just so beautiful. And she told her she was coming up here for a birthday party and, and, uh, they had a really good conversation, but it started around the child because people love to talk about their kids. Loving God, serving all, which includes children with compassion. We started this message on the topic of how to vote. Some people may think, well, this doesn't sound like a message on how to vote. But how we vote does make a difference. We must take action this election season. How we vote on issues and candidates based on their view of supporting children in a biblical way is critical and it's essential. As Christians, we want to be clear that we cannot support anyone who will be in favor of implementing godless philosophies that will impact our precious children in the home, in the classroom, or in public at all. I would challenge you to go to the website and I've shared it online. You can go back through the Facebook feed. It's on there. I shared it just a few days ago. Go online, print out your sample ballot, get informed, pray, pray and vote, vote. The most precious ones to us are our vulnerable children. They are so precious to Jesus as well. We read that in the scriptures. We must do everything that we can to protect them and to help them live for Jesus, both by living it out in front of them and helping them make, uh, helping them with their influences in their life, and helping them to make good, godly choices. Let's pray, Father. I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of your view on children and how we as, parents, we as parents, grandparents, and just those e- even of us that, that just have relationships with children in our families, Lord, that we need to be mindful that they are precious souls from you. Lord, we can do everything within our area of influence to do our best. Help us, oh God, to stand for Jesus in spite of everything else that might happen in our lives. Help us, help us to have the courage to do so. Thank you, Lord, for these precious little ones. Thank you, Lord, for who they will become in Christ. And we believe that you will reach them as we show them Jesus. And they will reach others for the kingdom of God. For yours be glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. If you are struggling in the areas of Maybe providing a positive role model. You don't need to struggle anymore. Just let Jesus work through you. Let Him work through you. My former pastor Steve Buckout he used to say, "You know how old people, you know old. You probably know some old people that are old and crotchety." He says they didn't grow get to be old and crotchety. They were young and crotchety as well. If we're not careful, we can allow critical words to hurt because they can hurt but our words need to be words of love, inspiration and uplifting to those especially in our lives. A number of years ago um, I've, I've worked in the public in restaurants, food service hospitality, customer service I've done that for decades and a number of years ago the Lord really put something on my heart and when I was working with the public I would automatically say please and thank you and and I would say you're welcome and yes sir and no sir but I didn't extend those common courtesies within my own house not that I was brutal with my language to my family but I I don't remember just actively saying thank you when somebody would give me something or please you know we we had good relationships we had pleasant relationships And the Lord kind of pricked my heart a little bit and he said, you know, you're nicer to these people that you have to be to than in some ways you are to your own family. And I thought, that shouldn't be. And so I worked to try to do that and to be nicer and more pleasant and more courteous to my own family. I thought that was important. But God wants us to go beyond the boundaries of being nice and courteous. He wants us to be a light shining for him and we can do that maybe you've struggled in that area maybe maybe there's a struggle that you're going through right now and you just don't know how to deal with we're going to have prayer whatever it is in your life that you need god to do we're going to pray i'm going to have a prayer with the online audience we're going to dismiss them and then we're going to have a prayer time here in the house those of you online. Father, I just thank you right now for those that have tuned in today. I know there are those that are watching and listening that are struggling, that are going through some issues. And first and foremost, Lord, we need to make you Lord of our lives because you can't be Lord over any part of our lives unless you're Lord over every part of our lives. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. I claim healing, I claim deliverance, and I claim it right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you will help us to be a positive witness, an encouraging voice to those who need your touch and your love in this generation that we live. Help us to be a light for those children that need your touch. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. We give you honor. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.